The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information on our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Good morning, everyone. Uh, We're continuing on in the book of Romans. And as you know, we've hit an area where um, if you could jump over it, you probably would, but it's very important that we neither add to nor take away from the Word of God. It is very important that we explain to everyone the predicament that we're in without Christ. It is very important that we let the world know you can escape. You can be saved. It is very important that we remind you how you are saved. Uh, Let us look at Romans chapter 1, and Justin did me the favor of saying, wait till next week. (laughs) And I think in chapter 1, this is one of the hardest texts in chapter 1. And guess what? When we were picking out this out, I volunteered for it. I did. And then the Holy Spirit reminded me of what I'm going to read to you, what Ben Franklin say, says. Do you not know that the Lord reigned in the kingdom of men? So it really, yes, I volunteered for it, but God wanted me to preach it. I didn't come to that till I just got here because this is a hard text, but we're going to deal with it in a loving and compassionate way. I want you to take what you hear today, take it to those who don't know Christ, take it to those who say they know Christ but not living like they know Christ. Meditate on it, chew it. It's been challenging for me. Am I doing everything I'm supposed to do? Not just here in the huddle, what I call the football huddle, but am I allowing the Holy Spirit to use me completely to run his play? You see, Jesus calls the plays and we run the plays. We come here to hear the play that we are to run in the world. And I was challenged. Am I running God's play? And I pray that through this sermon, you be challenged. Are you running God's play? Father, we come to you in the name that only matters, in the name of your holy and righteous Son, in the name of Jesus. And we say, fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Remove all anxiousness, all fear, all trepidation. Remove anything that will hinder me from speaking your truth clearly and with compassion. I pray for those who will hear this video, those who are present with me, that they hear it, eat it, meditate on it, and allow the Spirit of God to reveal to them the greatness of our salvation and our Savior 
the greatness of God's love, but also the righteousness of God's judgment, God's wrath. That we take God serious. We take the Father serious. In the only name that can save us all, in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 1, looking at verse 8. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, they gave, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they had known God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve death, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Most people don't go to the primary care physician unless they have to. And if we're honest with ourselves, we don't go to the primary care physician until our spouse nag us, threaten to kill us, or our children drag us, or our insurance policy from our company demands that we go. Then if we go, we lie to the doctor about how we feel, so he doesn't prescribe us any medication. And then we tell the doctor, okay, yeah, I'm gonna do that. We take the prescription, hide it from our spouse, don't tell our spouse what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to change our diet, how we're supposed to exercise, and how we're supposed to get more rest. Those are the good things that we do when we think about going to the doctor. It's because we don't want to be told what to do. And another thing, we don't want to come to the realization that we're going to die. Another thing we don't do, we don't go to the lawyer and we don't prepare for a will. We don't prepare to take care of our spouse and our kids afterwards because we presume foolishly we're going to live forever. The foolishness of this attitude calls us not to handle business. It calls us not to heed to the warning signs. It calls us to act ignorant of what is right before us. It shows a heart that is hard, even as a Christian, stubborn, wanting to do it your way. Like Frank Sinatra, Frank Sinatra's song, my way. I did it my way. If I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out my way. Brothers and sisters, that's the heart of a person who's not redeemed. They are determined to do it their way. 
I wonder and I ask you, how do you see society? Do you believe what society says that if the environment change, I can make a better person? Uh, that's not true. Bernie Madoff, perfect example, perfect environment, perfect economic stat, uh, status. He was an investor, a financier, but he got caught up in a Ponzi scheme and he was the main operator of it. Rich, be it greedy. It's the same thing that happens to a person who run past a woman while she's carrying her purse. He says, I, I'm doing it because I'm poor. It's not because he's poor, it's because he's a sinner. The same heart that's in, that would cause Bernie Madoff to create a Ponzi scheme is the same heart of that man who ran and stole that purse. I ask you, do you see humanity needs for someone greater than themselves to redeem them from their bondage? Or do you, as Christians, still kind of see, I'm a good person. They're good people. I only came to Christ because it was a bad Sunday, and I'm still trying to figure it out. Or have you really come to Christ? Have you really, do you really understand what it means to bow the knee to the creator of the universe and confess him with your heart, with your mind, and your soul that he is Lord? You see, the wonders of creation are the first lines that God sends out to all of humanity for you to say, have mercy on me. There is someone greater, wiser than me. This is intricately designed. I look at the flower and it's just, it's amazing. I look at the sunset and it just blows my mind. I look and look at how everything is so intertwined and dependent upon one another. And it just shows design. I'm going to get a little technical for some of those. Please forgive me if you don't want to hear from another book. I'm only using this as bait to get you back to the sufficiency of this book. There is a book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be Atheist, by Norman Geisler and Frank Turk. He talks about the radiation from Big Bang, the scientific evidence that the universe had a beginning, was discovered in, by accident in 1965. There went Arnold Penzi and Robert Wilson detected a strange radiation on their antenna at Bell's lab in Holmesdale, New Jersey. No matter where they turned, the antenna was mysteriously radiation remained. Initially thought it might be results of bird droppings deposited on the antenna by nestling New Jersey pigeons. So they had the bird droppings removed, but when they go back inside, they found that the radiation was still there. It was still coming from all directions. So what Penzias and Wilson had detected turned out to be one of the most incredible discoveries of the last century, one that would win the Nobel Peace Prize. 
These two Bell Lab scientists had discovered the afterglow from the Big Bang fireball explosion. Technically known as the cosmic background radiation, this afterglow is actually light and heat from the initial explosion. The light is no longer visible because its wavelengths have been stretched by the expansion of the universe to wavelengths slightly shorter than that produced by a microwave. But the heat can still be detected. And as early as 1948, three scientists predicted that this radiation would be out there if the Big Bang did really occur. But for some reason, no one attempted to detect for before Penzias and Wilson stumbled upon this accident nearly 20 years later. When the discovery was confirmed, it laid the rest many of the lingering suggestions that the universe is an internal steady state. Gnostic astronomer Robert uh, Jastrow put it this way, no explanation other than the Big Bang has been found for the fireball radiation clinching, clincher which has convinced almost the last doubt on Tom, Thomas that the radiation discovered by Penzias and Wilson has exactly the pattern wavelength expected for the heat and light produced in a great explosion. Supporters of the steady state theory has tried desperately to find an alternative explanation, but they have failed. At the present time, the Big Bang Theory has no competitors. Just briefly saying, Genesis starts it off this way 4,000 years ago. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Roman 19 says it this way, the heavens declare the glory, the glory of the only begotten, um, the glory in the sky proclaims his handiwork. Humanity has no excuse. Creation holds us responsible to our creator, and we must answer its question to all mankind. Where are you in acknowledging your creator? This means that man is refusing to acknowledge that he has been created for someone else, pleasure, and man needs to pursue his creator regarding how to please and serve his creator. But humanity suppresses this truth. We suppress this truth through the theory of evolution. We tell this truth in our schools. We, as meteorologists would do, say mother and nature is causing things to happen. This is a pure denial that God is the creator of all things and that he causes all things to happen. If I said John 3.16, what would you say to me? Come on, say it with me. There you go. I want to get you back awake, not fall asleep. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But do you know the verses right after that, verses 17 through 19? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the, in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe in him is condemned 
already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only son, he sees Jesus' appearance as a mistake. It was a, he sees Jesus' experience as a, appearance as a mistake, but it was planned by the creator himself. It was planned by the creator by God giving prophetic indications that this unique person would be from Abraham. This unique person would be from the tribe of Judah. This unique person would be of the seed of David. This unique person would be virgin born. This unique person would be the son of God. This unique person would die on Mount Moriah. This unique person would be raised from the dead before his body suffers corruption. What day was Jesus raised on? Third day. If you don't know, for all the scientists in the room, what day does your body start corrupting? In the grave? Fourth day. <laughs> I was trying to give you the answer. Fourth day. There were eyewitnesses to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And God proved that he was his son by many signs and wonders. See, the Bible is inerrant. You can trust it because it's about a person, a unique person, the son of the living God. He is the only one that can redeem mankind and free him from the bondage that he's trapped in. You see, man can't blame God, but he wants to. So how can an atheist hate someone who does not exist? Can you tell me that? If he doesn't exist, he can't hate him. That's like hating zero, nothing, all the time. You call that craziness. We need to give you a counselor. I have a daughter. I can suggest. She's a psychiatrist. If humanity does not choose Jesus, humanity is choosing the consequences of not accepting Jesus. God is a God of love. And we preach on that. We teach that. And you know why we emphasize that so much? Because we have broken people coming in hurting who have been mistreated by other people whose hearts are torn apart, who feel less than nothing themselves. They hate their very being. So they need to hear that somebody loves them. They need to hear that before the creation of the world, Christ, from the standpoint of God's point of view, he died for them. You need to hear that. You need to be reminded that you are fearfully and wonderfully made and you're loved by God. But that's not only God's attribute. God is righteous and holy. And we need to see all of him perfectly to appreciate the love. You need to see Jesus completely to appreciate his sacrifice. That will help you in your life when things get hard, 
when things get difficult, when the marriage gets hard, when work gets hard, when you're trying to witness some people and they tell you you're foolish and you're stupid for believing in an ancient book, a book only written by men, but you know that God has changed your life. He's, time, he's starting to take his holy word and inscribe it upon your heart. You know that when you're praying, you're talking to a person. You know that when you're praying, you're talking to your father. You know that he hears you, and you know that he knows the best for you, and you know that he's going to come through for you. So don't be ashamed of the king. Don't be ashamed of the cross. Don't be ashamed that you have not yet seen God, but yet you know that God lives because he's everything that we have, and he's everything that you need to go from this life to the next life. You see, contrary to popular belief, the world doesn't like Jesus, hates him. That's why he is the only name that is blasphemed on the radio waves, in the TV, and in the movies. You don't hear them cussing out Muhammad. You don't hear them cussing out Buddha. You don't hear them talking about Confucius. You don't hear them talking about Socrates. You don't hear them talking about anyone but the Lord Jesus Christ. But what you don't understand, and what you need to understand, it doesn't change God's mind how they feel about his son. Because God has predetermined that Jesus will one day reign in Jerusalem on the seat of David. So as they talk about your king with humility, with a broken heart, pray for them. And be reminded and remind them of what the scriptures say. See, sometimes, the reason why I got on the technical part, because the technical part is like a bait to get them to the Word of God. The Word of God doesn't need a science book. The Word of God doesn't need a medical book. It is sufficient all by itself. It was the Word of God that says life is in the blood before doctors knew that life was in the blood. It was the Word of God that said that the earth is round before we knew that the earth was round. It was the Word of God that says in the sea that there are mountains before we could even deep dive in the sea and think that there were mountains. So see, it is the word of God that says that the earth hangs on nothing. <laughs> Hindu says it hangs on the back of an elephant. I think we got pictures now knowing that there's no elephant holding up the earth. So you have nothing to worry about. Hold fast to God in his unchanging hand, in the surety of scripture. Because when you say what you have to say, what God gives you to say, it goes deeper than you think. The reason why they get pissed off is because it went deeper than you think. It didn't just hit them here, it hit them here. It hit them in the essence of who they are. And it reminded them that they're rebelling against their creator. You see, God loves the world. And in his scripture, he predetermined to let the world know, I not only love the Jew, but I love the Gentile. In Isaiah 42, 
I was going to read it all to you, but I don't have to, and I didn't do my stopwatch, so I don't know where I'm, where I'm rightly am. So I'm just going to give you the highlights. Not only is Jesus the light to Israel, but he's the light to all nations. He is the deliverer for the Indian, for the African, for the Caucasian, for the Hispanic. And as Justin rightly said, we are one in Christ. You can trust the scripture. You don't have to be ashamed of Jesus Christ. And he is the light of the world. And the moment you accepted him as your Lord and Savior and you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, he has made you a child of God. And now he has called you to be light in this world. He has called you when you go into the boardroom and when you walk the street and when you talk to your teachers and when you teach your students to be a witness, to be a living testimony, to be a living stone seated upon a chief cornerstone, which is Christ. He's called you to not be ashamed of him. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 11 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation to both the Jew and to the Greek. From a Hebrew point of view, that is us and everyone else. From a Romans point of view, Paul said it this way, of the Greeks and the barbarians, which means you speak another language than Greek, you're ignorant, you don't, you don't know how to speak Greek, all you is making is babbling noise. So Paul in chapter one covers both aspects of what, who Jesus is good for. And I want you to know we've been commissioned and we've been called but we are not alone. You've been given the Holy Spirit. In Romans 1:28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind and to do what ought not to be done. The downward spiral of man's rejection and suppression of the knowledge of truth is apparent in our nation. Our nation has never been perfect, but it was a nation that looked to God in its origin. In the introduction of the book Christianity and the Constitution by John Eastmore, he starts off by letting the readers understand the birth pains of a new nation. The men were hopeful. They intended to pull their learnings and wisdom to draw from the best uh, past governments thinkers, and perhaps a few new ideas. They had experienced tyranny on the Great Britain with a government that was too powerful. They had experienced anarchy under the Articles of Confederation, which created a government that was too weak and a nation that nearly collapsed as a result. So they hoped to formulate a system of government powerful enough to prevent anarchy, but appropriately restricted to prevent tyranny. On June 28, 81-year-old Benjamin Franklin, the oldest delegate at the convention, delivered what is probably the most famous speech 
of the entire meeting, he noted that the small progress they had made over four or five weeks was melancholy, proof of imperfectness of the human understanding. Rather than mere human understanding, the delegates needed something more, the father of lights to illuminate our understanding. He reminded the delegates that during the War of Independence, they had prayed regularly to God in this very hall. Our prayers, sir, were heard. They were graciously answered. All of them could remember God's intervention on their behalf. And to the invention they owned their victory over Great Britain. And have we forgotten that powerful friend? Or do we imagine that we no longer need his assistance? I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, there is convincing proof I see that is truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if he's if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it improbable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have assured him, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord builds the house, the labors are in vain that build it. I firmly believe this and also believe that without his conjuring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. Franklin suggests daily prayers led by one or more Philadelphian clergymen. This is how our nation began, with our delegates looking to the Lord for guidance and direction. America as a nation has begun down a road not acknowledging the God of heaven. Although this text is how individuals suppress the truth and refusal to acknowledge God, the people of our country are pushing the agenda that is changing our nation in a direction that is antagonistic toward God. This hatred of God is to remove everything about him in our society. Our nation has removed the Bible from the schools. We have sued a judge regarding the removal of the Ten Commandments from his courtroom. The Supreme Court has declared the same-sex marriage is legal in all states. Also in 1973, the Supreme Court declared illegal for women to choose to have an abortion until a fetus, baby in the womb, becomes viable based on the right to privacy contained in the due process clause of the 14th Amendment. Christian, how do you see America's prognosis? How do you see America's prognosis? We are sick, and we refuse to come to the physician, physician of our soul. Romans 1.28 is clear. When a person or a nation doesn't acknowledge, see fit to acknowledge God, God gives them over to a debased mind. A debased mind is that is bad, worthless, without value, full of vanity and thought and deed. It is completely worthless in value in the eyes of God. The tide is changing where people are becoming prideful of their lifestyle choices. In the previous years, we have had, in previous years, they would have kept silent about their life of choices because they knew their choices were sinful. Now people promote living together before marriage as a way of living. 
It is encouraged by others as a way to know if they're compatible before they get married. In the eyes of God, this is sin. It's fornication. The pro-choice for women, in the eyes of God, this is sin. It is murdering the baby in the womb. Evolution is taught in the schools as fact. In the eyes of God, it is sin. It is idolatry. Parents are pushing their child's choice to go transgender over the social media. In the eyes of God, it is sin. It is immoral and idolatry. We have lost our bearing in what it means to be one nation under God. As it states on our money, God doesn't want our money. He wants a repentant heart that is born again by the Spirit. He wants man to be redeemed by the blood of his son and not encounter the wrath to come. God wants to sit upon the throne of our hearts and direct our lives by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 3, 9 and 10 puts it this way. Turn with me if you could. I'll wait on you. I'm cheating. I have it typed out. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come should reap repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Let's go to Romans 132. I'm not going to read it, all the different type of sins that man does to show that he is not, has not been saved and his life has not been transformed. But Romans 32, though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Mankind's conscience makes known to the sinner that they are rebelling against the Holy One. Even after his conscience is seared with a hot iron, it still murmurs, repent, repent, get right with the God of heaven. But they refuse and further harden their hearts until the Lord agrees with them and harden their hearts. Their own conscience condemns them, and when they are resurrected from the dead and stand before the Lord at the great white throne, they will be without excuse. Turn with me to Revelations 20, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw the great white throne and him who sat on it. From his presence, the earth and sky fled away and no peace was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he's thrown into the lake of fire. This is not something to rejoice over. Their choice has come to the head. It's not that God has given them what they deserve. God is turning them over to their desire to be without him. And to, in them own selves, incur God's wrath. Instead of receiving the free gift of salvation through Christ, who bore God's wrath for them. This is not what God wanted. This is not why God created them. God loves them. But there will be some who don't want him. God is not going to force us to love him. He's done everything for us to be saved, for everyone to be saved. He has provided a lifeboat large enough to save the whole entire world. But we don't love God. We don't care for God. We love ourselves. We love our sin. Why he loves us? Why does he love us? And all we do is give him the Heisman. All we do is tell him no. All we do is reject his son. And day after day, he shows mercy. His mercy is new every morning. Amen. He doesn't delight in the death of the wicked. So there, there are people in your life that you know, don't gloat over them not knowing Christ. It is a horrible thing. Don't rejoice over the abortionists that die. Horrible. Don't rejoice over the atheists that deny God. Horrible. God loves us. He wants everyone to be saved. I'm about to close. 
I had the pleasure of uh, seeing my daughter perform at Reagan in the Titanic. I had no desire. I'm not in a drama, but I'm into my daughter. But one unique thing that I was struck by just seeing the Titanic reenactment, they were selective about who got saved. They didn't care about the poor. They called them third-class citizens. They didn't care about the middle class. They called them second-class citizens. The only one that was allowed to first get on the few lifeboats that there were were those who had the money. That sounds like a salvation man ordains. My God, die for everybody. My God, die for everyone. The rich, the poor, the black, the white, the Jew, the Gentile. In his lifeboat, is big enough. His lifeboat is big enough. And he wants everyone to be saved. So as a Christian, I'm a, I want to challenge you. God has placed you in a lifeboat and he's made you one of his pilots. He wants you to go back and get somebody else who's still on the Titanic of life and who's sinking and will, when they sink, they're going into the lake of fire. Don't let that blood be on your hands. Pray for this nation. Pray for those whom God placed on your heart. Don't walk on your job, not one more time, not praying. Give me an opportunity, Jesus. Don't go to school, not one more time praying. Give me an opportunity, Jesus. Don't go to the grocery store. One more time, not asking, give me an opportunity, Jesus. Don't live in your neighborhood one more day. And I say, God, in your providence, you place me here. Give me an opportunity. And continue to play until he says no. Continue to pray until he says stop.